Hey, good morning, gardeners. Um, kind of nice out this morning. We have a really terrible cold front coming, folks. This next week, oh my gosh, not a single day in the hundreds. I don't know, maybe I need to get my jackets out. Um, that is a good thing, finally, to break some of this heat. But uh, that's becoming less important than finally getting some water. We haven't got any of that, and we are more than four inches behind for the year. So uh, we really need the rain. That's priority number one is to get some rain. And it doesn't look uh, very promising for a while. But, you know, there's a great psychological advantage when they say the high for the day is only two digits instead of three digits. Let's go to the phones, folks. This is Roberta. Roberta, what can I help you with? Uh, thank you for taking my call. It's my mountain laurels. They're small. They're growing. They're about, oh, four foot tall. And on my new growth, I'm getting webworms, and uh, I, basically the way I t t that I'm able to kind of put a halt to them is I have to actually pick them off one at a time and kill them, and I keep spraying it with uh, a bonide, uh, uh, Captain Jack's dead bug, but I'm spraying it like three and four times a day, and they keep they keep coming back, and it's only on the new growth. They're not on any of the rest of the plants. This may be a very, very silly question. I'm so I apologize, but they're worms. They don't fly. How do they get there? I've read. There is uh, a I'm butterfly. Sorry, go ahead. Excuse me. It's not a butterfly. It's a moth, and it flies around and lays an egg on the uh, mountain laurel. That egg hatches. Ta-da! You've got this caterpillar not a worm it's a caterpillar and they start eating and they make this web to protect themselves because uh, insects that might eat it can't get through the webbing so that's that's what's going on a moth lays an egg the egg becomes that fuzzy caterpillar is called a genista and that is what mows down your mountain laurels you want to look for a product that has BT in it. That's shortcut for Bacillus thuringiensis. Safer Caterpillar Killer is one of them. Monterey makes a BT product. Uh, Thuricide is the name of a BT product. BT is a protein that when a caterpillar eats it, the protein starts multiplying in their gut until their gut explodes. And that kills them. It is really safe to use. You only want to spray plants you're trying to protect. Don't just spray it nilly-willy everywhere else. Can't believe I said nilly-willy. Anyway, um, it will do a good job on the caterpillars and give the mountain laurel a chance to catch up. I had to spray mine two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, because I'm having exactly what you're talking about. 
I may go out there and spray again this weekend just to stay ahead of them. Okay, thank you very much. I've been trying to write down those names you gave me, Thuricide, and I, I didn't get the rest of them. I'm so sorry. You said it has to have BT sure. in it. Okay, one is called Safer, S-A-F-E-R, Caterpillar Killer, and uh, Monterey makes a BT product, and it's Monterey BT, I believe, is what's on the bottle. Any one okay. of those three will do a better job of getting rid of the um, the caterpillars that are on there for you. Yeah, what it I'm using is just not that good. Well, it's for what you're using is for a different kind of bug. Now, okay. they will not kill the mountain laurel, but they will make it so it may not bloom as well next year. And that is always uh, not good. Okay. So the sooner you can get to them, the sooner the plant can get its strength back and make sure you have blooms for next year. Okay. Thank you so very much. I really do appreciate your assistance. Thanks for the call, Roberta. I wish you luck. Thank um, you, sir. Let's, yep. Let's go to the phone. This is... <laughs> This is Chris asking an existential question here. Chris, what can I help you with? Morning, Jeff. I think nilly willy is a pretty good word, man. It's all right when you said it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I uh, I was curious if you've uh, tried the electroculture gardening yet um, and uh, see if you had. I mean, if you haven't, I mean, I have, but have you used it yet? Never heard of it. So it's um, you basically you're taking the grounding rods and you're putting it next to your plants that you want to kind of get a little bit larger and you kind of creating an antenna so that your uh, uh, your ground can achieve the ether that's out there in the uh, the air. Uh, it's uh, it's if if you haven't heard of it, it's pretty uh, it works pretty well. I've seen lots of videos on it and it's it's uh, been talked about more here this last year. Uh, actually, it's not this last year. That concept um, has, it comes and goes. Been around for a while. Yeah, it comes and goes. I doubt seriously that you could set up one garden bed using this and one right next to it. Put the same plants in both of them, and uh, you have no guarantee you can show that it really works any better. I don't understand what the ether is either. Um, that That's a 200-year term, 200-year-old term for what's in the air. So um, it's, it's, I would have to give it a big no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even attempt to try it. It, it is throwing together some terms and making a mess and, if you actually could compare two gardens exactly the same and watch their performance, I would uh, I would be amazed if uh, this bed did better than just your normal, well-tended, good organic matter, the water it needs, et cetera. 
garden bed. Well, if you haven't checked it out on the videos and stuff on YouTube and things like that, you should give it a look-see. Well, the problem with that is there's a lot of YouTube videos. I don't want YouTube videos. I want someone, um, an, an agricultural university like Texas A&M, to try it, measure it, and prove to me it's really uh, something that works. And like I said, this has come and gone for years as uh, an idea to try to improve gardening, but it becomes a big flash word and people try and it doesn't take long before they go, well, this doesn't work. And then it fades away again. And then a few years later, somebody else will come up with it again. You couldn't, you'd have to prove to me, prove, meaning you did a blind test, two different garden beds, uh -huh. same plants, you'd have to prove to me that it works. But I don't think it's worth the time or trouble. I understand. All right, cool then. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate that. Um, let me, may I ask one more question? Sure. Um, I've got a, I have a fig tree that I've, I've kept in a pot, uh, and it, it's produced fruit for me every year. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a brown turkey fig. And the only reason I haven't put it in the ground yet is because I haven't found my forever home. I talked to you a while back about my blueberry bushes and stuff. Um, and uh, I got those situated too, by the way. Uh, but my fig tree here has been, it's been fruit has been coming off of it, but the fruit has just, it's not, it's not the way it should be. It's not soft. It's kind of like when you go to pull it apart, if you were to split it, it doesn't split like it usually should. It's kind of like leathery almost. Uh, I think that's a water issue. Um, water issue. Fruit, yeah. You may be running it a little too dry. Um, I normally would not water my figs, and they were fantastic. Uh, it's mm -hmm. possible that you're picking them a little early too. So I was now these ones that I've picked. They are they turned purple, and then the little divot has popped on the butt end of the fig. I was I, I was understanding that's when you want to pick them. Well, you pick them to the texture too, because you said the skin is tough and thick. Well, even, that's probably water. Okay. Okay, then. And I usually watch, try to water them in the mornings before I head out to work, so. Well, when you do that, it's not everyday water. Maybe once a week of a good slow soaking, it should uh -huh. be more than enough. Not okay. every day. I'll, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try that out then. Chris, well, I, I got to take a break here. Thank you for the call. I Wish you luck on the figs. Mine haven't produced yet this year. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We need to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phone. This is Robert. Robert, thanks for waiting. What can I help you with? Good morning, Jeff. I'm calling because I purchased two uh, pomegranate trees about three feet tall. One of them's doing okay. The other one's leaves kind of dried up. But in the past, when I had uh, a 
pomegranate tree that I had to remove because we built something there. Uh, they're pretty resilient. I mean, they came back right from the ground. So I'm wondering if this one is going to, you know, recover and be okay in the fall or as long as I keep watering it. Well, don't overwater it. Okay. I know they're new plantings, right. but a good soaking about once a week, it definitely doesn't need water every day. That can actually give it that dried out look. But okay. yes, it should recover. I have okay. five of them in a row, and the right. breeze took three, uh, took, well, took all of them, froze them terribly, and some of them literally just fell over. And sure mm. enough, this year they're growing back after the freeze. Little okay. shoots coming from the ground took out all the stuff that fell over, and basically I got brand new pomegranates coming up. Mm. They're, they are very, very tough. So have some faith in them and just get that water cycle down right on them. Remember, they, they're not wet ground plants. Um, soak the soil good. Let it dry out a little bit. Soak the soil good, and they'll do wonderful. Okay. My second question has to do with the curculio worm because I did plant uh, two nice, uh, a peach tree and a uh, plum tree. And they're only about six feet tall, but I want to prevent the curcolia worm problem before they start uh, producing fruit. So I guess the question is, if I put down uh, uh, nematodes uh, in the fall, would that would that help? Uh, that won't hurt. You can do it in the fall or the spring. Any okay. soil-borne pest, the nematodes are going to try to attack. And that's where the plum curculio comes from. They overwinter in the soil. So okay. you may want to do it next spring. The other thing you can do is uh, use kaolin clay, which is, a, which is powdered porcelain, actually. You mix mm. it with water. It'll look like milk. And you spray. I mean, you really wet the plant down well. The clay makes oh. the leaves taste funny. To the curculio, so they may not land on it. Um, you can also try, you have to be careful here, like a spinosad base spray. The problem okay. with that is you do not, do not spray it in the blossom. Spinosad base okay. sprays can affect bees. So don't spray okay. it in the blossom. Once it's dry, they're okay with it, but don't you know don't be killing off your pollinators that first one what kind of clay is it it's called kaolin um the, it it's usually sold under the name wp surround and some places will actually carry it as kaolin k a o l i n okay got it well i certainly appreciate it you've always helped throughout the years with my different questions. So I certainly appreciate that. And have a good rest of the day. Have a good weekend. You do. Yeah, you thank you for the call, Robert. Uh, good luck with your pomegranate. Um, I like the plants. They have beautiful blooms on them when they finally start blooming. So uh, have some faith. I, I'm betting it'll come back. Just be careful about overwatering. That's That tends to be a problem. Sounds good. Okay, I got it. 
Yep. I got a text message here. And um, someone has a pear tree that the squirrels are biting off the pears. I've got that exact same problem. You go by and you will find... uh, you will find pears on the ground under the tree, and usually with a bite out of it. I think the squirrels and the rabbits work together. The squirrel gets in the tree and bites off the pear. When it hits the ground, the rabbit eats it. Um, Usually pear trees will produce so many pears that this isn't a huge problem. I still got more than 100 on my tree. And they're looking really good. Hot pepper wax, spraying it on it. The the squirrels don't like the scent or the taste of it. So that is one good way to do it. Another way to do it, um, they make uh, fruit socks. That sounds weird. It is a little knitted bag that you put over the fruit and tie it on and that should prevent that should prevent the squirrels from taking as many as they have been okay that should slow the squirrels down a little bit you're still going to lose some but those are steps you can try to keep them off the hotter the the pepper wax the better Spray every once in a while. In this heat, it will wear out a little bit. So you may have to spray more than once. Um, but that's that's about the best thing you can do to try to, to keep the squirrels down. You don't always win, but um, it's better than doing nothing. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Uh, we're at the bottom of the hour. We need to break for the news. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Going to be a hot one today. No surprise there. But we are going to start cooling off. I know. Instead of saying 100, we're going to say 99. It's a psychological thing, okay? Um, it, it is definitely a psychological thing. Just to be able to say it's not 100 means a lot. Now, we're not going to see any huge difference. Our plants are going to behave differently or anything like that. It's just... Get up early in the morning and get stuff done. Evenings should feel so much better with even the slightest of breeze. Oh, that'll make a big difference. So that's what we would like to see going on. Um, We know that this little cooling period is very temporary. We're just barely getting into July, and uh, son of a gun, (laughs) we have all of August, too. 
We have plenty of days for the really hot weather to kick in. Uh, we got to take the breaks when we got them, when we get them. If it's uh, if it's what we can manage, if it's what we can take care of. Those plants should get their attention. If it is a plant that's just not going to produce, for example, I'm shortly, I don't think it'll be this weekend. I still have a few tomatoes on the vine, but probably next weekend, I'm cutting almost all of my tomatoes way back. They're going to be half as tall or uh, shorter than that, and I'm going to take care of them like they're newly planted, fertilizer and water, but I'm going to cut them way back so they'll start putting on new growth. The idea being is I'll have nice big tomato plants again, say around September, about the time that the weather should be giving us a break and should be conducive for, to the tomatoes producing fruit. Now, I'm serious. I mean, I am really, really cutting these back. You would almost think that you're killing the plant. I'm not cutting it to the ground. I will be cutting it so that there is still green leaf showing. And I'm, like I said, I'm still going to care for it and hope for the best. Um, no guarantee, but by the time I come up on fall with the right temperatures, my tomatoes have this huge root mass, lots and lots and lots of roots, and a plant with good branches on it to be able to support to be able to support lots of tomatoes. And hopefully they'll provide me with fall tomatoes. Remember, you should only cut back indeterminate varieties. If your determinate variety produced tomatoes and you cut it back, there's no guarantee it will produce again. Let's go to the phone. This is Richard. Richard, what can I help you with? Yes, you may have answered the question. I turned on the radio in the middle of you answering this. I'm not sure if the subject is the same. I came across an article, and the subject was electroculture, uh, using copper wires in a particular fashion, inserting into the soil to help grow. Is this pseudoscience, or is this some novelty somebody came up with? Pseudoscience. What about uh, Phil, Phil Callahan and his paramagnetism? Is there anything to that? Pseudoscience. You answered my question. Thank you much. Uh, Richard, if you want to ever try these things, feel free. Don't let me tell you not to. But you are heading down a path that may be wasting your time and wasting your effort. So up to you, everybody out there. You don't have to listen to me. I just, when someone says, oh, let's do this. Okay, prove it works. And there are ways to do that. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, 
you recognize or can can prove that it works or it doesn't. My bet is it doesn't. Let's go to the phone. This is Steve. Steve, what can I help you with? Uh, good morning, Jeff. Hey, I've got a fig tree that was at one time as big as, as yours. However, it did survive both of the major freezes that we had. And this year, uh, it appears to be coming back with a vengeance, uh, lots of figs. But I, I, I assume that fig trees are actually multi-trunk because I'm having individual branches towards the bottom that are severely, the leaves are severely yellowing, and it appears those branches are simply dying off amongst all the other green that's progressively getting better and better on other branches. Should I trim those branches off? You know, um, my answer is no, because it's too hot to be outside. <laughs> but well, there's nothing. Dead branches, when you can get to them, those are worth removing. Remember that a fig produces the fig on new growth. So you don't want to get too excited cutting off branches because you may be removing uh, this year's fig or next season, whatever. But yes, you can remove the dead wood. I had a fig that uh, froze and it came back really good, but I have a lot of branches sticking up out of it that the only thing they're doing is providing a post for snails to crawl on. Yeah. Um, gonna, so I'm going to remove it, the dead wood, but I'm doing it on a day where it's not going to be this hot. Okay. So cut off dead stuff I, when it's convenient to do so. And I, I had several of those as well, and, and I did cut those back. But what's peculiar is these branches that had just, you know, beautiful, large green leaves and, uh, maybe not a lot of figs as I look now, but those branches, the leaves are simply just now those bright, large green leaves are just all turning yellow and wilting. And so does well, that mean those, that branch is dead with those? No, no. Wilting leaves? Um, a fig will look really ugly before it drops its leaves. They'll turn pale. They'll be yellowish. They'll be crumbly. Um, that isn't an indicator that something is wrong. It's possible those leaves are not getting the light they need, and that's fine. If the the leaves should fall off on their own during the cold weather. Mm, okay. What about what about water? No, I I've never watered my fig, and and it's of course done extremely well. But and as far as light, there's there's tons <clears> of light, so there's no problem there. It's just really peculiar. Because it's just well, a couple of the branches on the bottom, and these branches, you know, when it when it when it came back, of course there was just a ton of other branches that sprouted up, and many of the original branches simply died off, and and I cut those back. But it's got all new growth. It's really doing very well. It's just these peculiar individual branches that seem to be problematic in 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 having uh, they're just turning yellow. Yeah, it could be related to the heat, um, not necessarily the water. Uh, I never 
supplemental watered my fig. That includes all the way through 2011 with no rain. It produced the best, sweetest figs. So it could just be a heat thing. It can be the, the stress of the weather on the plant. And you may wind up losing those a few of those branches, but that's not a bad thing. A fig is, as you've discovered, more a shrub than an actual uh, tree. Oh, yeah. So I shouldn't really be concerned about those, the ugly branches that appear dead, because they're not going to really detract from the rest of the, quote, tree, because they're all on, appear to be individual branches. So just let those branches that appear to be yellowing out just stay as they are then. Not you bet. You bet. And you can you can take care of it. Once it's lost all its leaves, it'll be easier to see what needs to be removed and what doesn't. So a little oh, patience okay. can go a long way on that one. Steve, I got to okay. take a break here. I appreciate the call. Uh, I'm jealous that you have a fig tree that has figs on it. I lost mine. So, uh, folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phone. This is Debbie. Debbie, what can I help you with? Um, I have a sun gold tomato plant that is very large and still producing, but it is riddled with red spider. Is it worth cutting back and trying to save it? I mean, I've been spraying it with spinosad, and it's just not doing anything. What's wrong? Um, there's no harm in cutting it back. And the red spider mites, um, you can you can switch from a spinosad based to uh, insecticidal soap. You just got to make sure you're getting the soap on the spider mites. So spray underneath the leaf. You'll never recover the leaves that look terrible. They're they're going to look terrible. They're dead now, basically. But you will prevent the spider mites from doing more damage, and the plant can catch up and put on new growth. But you're fine if you want to cut it back. Make sure you throw away everything you cut off to get rid of the spider mites. And how often should I be spraying that to break that cycle? Spider mites reproduce so fast, you should be spraying twice a week. Okay. Yeah, I've been alternating between insecticidal soap and spinosad, but it's, I mean, the tomato plant is huge, so there's no way for me to just get every, you know, little thing. Okay, well, well I, I'll try it. I'm afraid of it, of it infecting other things, too. You know, that's not impossible. Uh, that red spider might well have a feast on green beans, but green beans aren't really growing right now, so that's not a big a deal. But they will enjoy those tomatoes, something fierce. They also like um, marigolds for some reason. They will just destroy marigolds. So if you can get 
better control of them, either by spraying or cut it back and get rid of them, uh, that will help out the plant a bunch. Okay. I'll try it. Thanks for your help. Yes, ma'am. Thanks for the call. Folks, I want to, I got a text and I want to talk about it. I said that I was going to cut my tomatoes in half, probably less than half. They may only be a foot tall when I'm done. The thing about it is you can also go to the tip of a tomato plant, the end branches, and cut off like, oh, I don't know, a six to eight inch branch tip. Take what you cut off and stick it in a um, potting mix. Keep it moist, not soaked, but moist. And what will happen is that cut tomato will start producing roots. And you will have a new tomato plant. It's, it's cloning the plant. And it usually works pretty easily with tomatoes. If you didn't cage your tomato and you just left it lying on the ground, everywhere it touched the ground, it would try to make roots. It's called opportunistic rooting. By cutting off a branch tip, cut off really good, healthy looking material, and take what you cut off and stick it into um, a good potting mix, a small container, one of those four-inch pots is fine. In no time at all, it'll start making roots, and you'll have that same tomato ready to go again for fall. You can do the cloning. It's really easy with tomatoes, and you get to, let's say you had a tomato this year that just was just did gangbusters, you know, lots and lots of healthy tomatoes. Clone it. It'll be the exact same tomato. It just will have a new start. And any issues that had occurred to the, the parent, the plant you cut it off of, will be gone for the most part. The bugs will be gone. Uh, the uh, bad leaves, things like that. And you will have yourself a brand new tomato growing. Now, if you're looking at cutting back your tomatoes, start four or five of these cuttings till you get the one that you, till you get one that you want. They are easily done, and it's very easy to be successful when you're talking about cloning a plant or taking a cutting when you're using tomatoes. They just are asking to make new roots wherever they can touch the soil. So cutting off a tip, putting it in a potting mix, you want something that uh, drains really well, but can hold some moisture and keep it growing. And you will have new roots in no time at all. And you will have your new fall tomatoes ready to go for you. Just uh, if you do it in containers, you can do it outside but you only want early morning sun and shade the rest of the day. I would suggest bringing them inside until they make roots, then you can start working them outside. 
Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We're coming up onto the top of the hour. We need to break for the news. Uh, JJ Lamar, I see you there. Uh, if you can hang on, I will catch you on the other side. Uh, folks, we'll break for the news and I will uh, come back after that. <laughs> 